Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of my podcast, Sincerely Jada. And if this is your first time listening, this podcast is dedicated to learning and unlearning. So today I have an exciting episode to conclude season two, which this season is going to have 13 episodes instead of 14, because to be honest, child, it's been hard. You know, we're getting into the holiday season and there's a lot going on. And I think that this would be a good episode to end it off with. For today's episode, I decided to have a guest, which is my mother, the woman who gave birth to me. 24 faithful years ago. Essentially, I wanted to have her on the podcast because we oftentimes try to solve our problems on our own and we get the perspective of our friends, our siblings, people around us who may not have the life experience or have been through the types of things that oftentimes our parents have and can speak to some of the perspectives that our parents have. Because, you know, we always hear that our generation is going astray And, you know, maybe sometimes it's good to seek advice from other generations to tell us the tea and tell us what we're doing wrong. I'll start off by, of course, letting my mom introduce herself. And we will also be putting her on the hot seat. So I have a few questions that my faithful listeners, thank you very much, gave me. And essentially, I'll ask her those. We'll also go through a few scenarios that I'll get her perspective on. So if you can relate to any of the scenarios then you'll be able to apply maybe some of her advice. I will give my perspective on certain things and she'll give her perspective. So we'll see how Gen X thinks versus Gen Z. Let's get into this episode. I think you'll all enjoy it. If you could introduce yourself, Mother, and, you know, welcome yourself to my audience, I guess. My name is Janet. My maiden name is Porter. And my current married name is Janet Porter Green. What else do you want me to say about myself, Jada? What your favorite pastime is like what you do for fun okay so the top of my list is i love to read i love romantic mystery action type of books so i'm a romantic at heart and my second pastime i love to sing i love music i enjoy music and i also love to go camping and my camping involves, it could involve driving for long distances or short distances. But those are the three things that I find pleasure in doing. Thank you for introducing yourself. So the next aspect of this episode, we started off light, but I'm now going to put you on the hot seat. The hot seat essentially is when I might ask you some questions. Maybe they'll be a bit difficult to answer or just overall maybe questions that you're like, why is Jada asking me this? But you know, it's an honor of the podcast and a few of them are things that people wanted to know. When you're in the hot seat, you just kind of have to answer the question as best as you can. You can give like a yes or no, as much detail as you want to give, but you can't lie, essentially. Okay. Okay, so the first question, do you have a favorite child? Yes or no? Oh my God, why did you ask me that? And you're talking to me right now, so don't be shady. (laughs) You know what? I would rephrase that. It's not that I have a favorite child, but of my four children, I have a different relationship with all four of you. You guys might look at it and think I have a favorite, but it's not that there's a favorite. There's a different dynamics. Mm -hmm. That's a very political answer, but that's fair. (laughs) It's not political if you would like to know the truth. Um, You guys have always said that I have a favor, but that's not it. It's just that the relationship is different. Okay, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So the next question is a bit of a scandalous one. So what do you think that the phrase or term situationship means, if you were to guess? So this is one of the new school terms. 
that, you know, people of my generation are using. But if you were to guess what that means, what do you think it means? Oh, my God. So I've never heard that term before today. I'm going to guess that it, it means um, how you relate as an individual with different situations that you face in life. <laughs> um, and that can also include the people who are involved in the situation and how, um, what kind of relationship you have with that individual and whatever the circumstances are. Am I close? I'm not sure, honestly. So essentially what it means is a relationship that has no commitment. So this is an issue oh. that a lot of people my age are struggling with. So for example, if there's like a person that you like or whatever and you're hanging out with them, but that person basically won't ask you out, like they're not willing to commit to you. So it's like a relationship that's going nowhere, essentially. Oh, wow. I wouldn't have thought that. They say our generation apparently is the one that won't commit. Girls particularly find themselves in this situation where they're in this situation for like years and not really knowing what's going on. Mm -hmm. um, guess we'll get more into that as the episode goes on. The third question is if you had it your way, and somebody actually asked this. So if you had it your way, what age would I have my first child? <laughs> What age would you, Jada, have your first child? Yes. Um, you know, I think maybe between 26 and 28 would be a good age. And because I know you and how mature and responsible you are, that would be a good age for you because by then uh, you would have maybe settled into your preferred career and be ready. So for you, I think between 26 and 28 would be good. That's a very interesting answer because I'm 24 now. For me, that's like what I would have in mind as well. But I don't know if I've ever told you this, but I want three kids. So I always think of the fact that I guess they say it's good to have like some space. Yeah. So keeping that in mind, I think 26 or 27 makes sense. But yeah, we'll see. You know, the economy is, is not going well. So we'll see. <laughs> and especially if you're planning to have three. So having your three kids by maybe 35 would be good. People always say, if you can't have them, the idea will be to have them like no more than maybe two years apart. So at least they grow up closer to each other and the bond they say is usually a little bit tighter if they're closer in age. And it gives you a little bit of time breathing room before the next one comes. Mm -hmm. You heard it here on the podcast. So if 26, I have a child, my mom can't say anything. <laughs> I'm not the kind of mom who's going to want to meddle in your own personal life and tell you when to have your child and whatever. No, that wouldn't be me. Mm -hmm. As long as you, you're finished with school and you're working and you have your, your path set out and you're on it, that's nope, that wouldn't be my, my call, actually. Mm, that's a good answer. We like that. This one also is something that someone sent me. So do you think it's harder to be a young adult now, like the issues that young adults are facing this day and age compared to when you were growing up, or do you think it was harder then? No, you know, I think it is definitely harder now. Um, the world has changed so much. When I was like a, from my early teens to early 20s, I was faced with a lot of challenges. And um, I mean, they're different when you compare to now. But if you were to ask me this question during my teenage or early 20s, I would have told you that it was hard and it was challenging because I didn't have the experience that has come in the past 30 plus years where if you do a comparison as you ask, then I would say the challenges are there, but they're just different. The economy has changed. The 
political climate around the world has changed, cost of living has gone up, you know, the internet access to all these different apps and social media platform. Like you had a TV at home, you didn't have cable and internet was just coming in. You spent most of your time reading or socializing with your friends, walking around, going places and having um, physical contact with people in your life. So it's just different, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, but in terms of what um, people in your age group and the youth coming up, it's harder and it is going to be harder because you guys only have your current experience to compare it with, right? You don't have the pleasure of being able to compare the 60s and 70s to um, today's age of 2023, right? Yeah, I think sometimes it can be hard to relate to your parents in this generation just because like most of my friends, most of us have like immigrant parents who have like their own struggles. So they talk about them coming to the country, etc. It's hard to relate sometimes because it's like naturally from their perspective, we're growing up more privileged. But from our perspective, we're facing these different things. I mean, when mm-hmm. you came to the country, perhaps the houses were, you know, a little cheaper but now they're very unaffordable. So I think it's like harder to relate sometimes because they have their own struggles that they talk about. So they wouldn't feel like we have any struggles. Yeah. Just like the statement you just made that housing prices were cheaper. But do you think of in the 80s where you could get a three-bedroom house? Maybe I wasn't in Canada in the 80s, but if you think of, I know people who were here and you could get a three-bedroom house for less than a hundred thousand dollars back then but in the 80s a hundred thousand dollars was was a lot of money for people back then right your Mm -hmm. their salary wasn't what it is today cost of living in the 80s seemed high to people if you're living in each decade that has passed you would think that it was easier because you're comparing it to now but when you're living in that decade it really wasn't that much easier Right, each decade comes with its own struggles. You were talking about people being immigrants. I remember growing up in in Jamaica, and my parents they struggled to provide for us, and you had to go without without a lot of stuff. Migrating to Canada or North North America was an option for a lot of people because we saw it as an opportunity to be able to access a lot more services. We saw education has been more affordable um, for people. That actually makes a lot of sense. I never really considered it from that perspective. Like, there's all these things you didn't have to deal with back then. But, of course, back then there were different situations as well that made it difficult to you. So I think in that situation, it's just like a lack of understanding on both sides of what each side has to go through. But I guess it makes sense because it's like, unless you live it, how are you going to know? Yeah. Children who are born in North America and... Like, you don't know what it's like to have one pair of shoes and that's all you could afford. And you'd wear it to school and you polish it up and shine it up to go to church. And you'd have maybe a pair of slippers that you'd wear every day if you're going to the shop or you're going to visit a friend. Or you have maybe three pair of jeans and a couple of t-shirts. And plus you have your school uniform to a lot of people who didn't have two working parents providing for them. That was a lot, and you felt blessed to have that. But when you compare it to like children who are in your age group, I think, what do they call you guys? Gen X? Gen Z. You're Gen X, actually. Oh, okay. So when you compare that 
to Gen Z who have a whole wallow of different styles of clothing. A lot of you guys have a few designer elements thrown in because when you're growing up, your parents being here can afford a few nice things or you'll have three or four different pair of runners and you have your runners for school and you're going out, your parents will take you to the mall and you get um, an outfit for an occasion. Me, when I was growing up, I didn't have that, mm -hmm. right? But I still felt like I had a lot because in those days, times were hard, but that was all that everybody had unless you were in the upper, upper class. But if um, Gen Z were to experience those conditions, they would, you guys wouldn't be able to survive. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, that was a very good answer. Like, that was very insightful. So thank you for that. Um, This is the last hot seat question. So after this, you can relax a bit, you know. But what was your first thought when I told you I was moving away from home? Oh, Lord. You know what? My first thought was, oh, my God, she's finishing university and she's not even coming home. I felt a little bit abandoned and I wasn't very happy because my thought was, you know, once you finish university, you would come home, spend a year, reconnect with the family and then plan your future from there and decide exactly what you wanted to do. So I was very, very, very disappointed when you decided you were going to leave straight from, from Trent to go to, um, to Ottawa without a reconnect and really plan exactly what your next steps were. So just putting that out there. That's fair. I remember when I was in school, like my older siblings, I don't know if you knew that this was like the running thought, but everybody said that I wasn't going to come home. My two older sisters said that they just knew I wasn't going to come home. Um, mm. And I don't know why, if that's like just like what my personality type is. But I think it makes sense. Like I think in hindsight, it's worked out well. But like looking back, I think that I definitely could have taken more time between graduating to avoid like having to fully grow up in a sense, like having to pay bills and do all those things. I could have taken, I guess, more time before having to do that. I think this is the only time we have ever opened up that topic. So it's a starting point. Yeah, it's nice for you to share that because I think that a lot of times naturally as children, like we don't really consider sometimes how the things that we do or our actions maybe affect our parents. But in a positive way, like I did an episode as well with uh, Tashna, which is my sister, for those who don't know. And like, I think her also talking about like me moving in that way, it being something that kind of helped, I guess, like challenge me a bit because I'm such a quiet person and like a shy person. And I guess people are starting to see that I'm coming out of that. So I don't know if me moving had something to do with that. But like, I think of it in that way, too. Like maybe it's something I also needed to do to find I guess my voice more and to grow out of being so quiet and shy. What do you think about that? You know, I think the four years in university, you start up progressed in terms of maturity and coming out of your shell. But I think one of the things, not that coming home for a year or so after you graduated would have hampered that, but it would, I think it would have given you a little bit of time to reconnect really and to sort of plan strategies as to you know what your next steps are rather than you know having leaving university and going straight out there um having to navigate the job market 
maybe taking jobs that wouldn't have been your first choices because you, you felt the need that you had to get an income right away. I think that would have helped, you know, directing your career path and planning your next steps, giving you a little bit of breather so you could, you know, really take those next steps gradually. Mm-hmm. Well, that's fair. I guess when you graduate, like I didn't consider myself a full-blown adult, but I kind of put myself in that position because it's like, you know, moving out and doing everything on your own. Now you're a full-blown adult, but it was like a bit earlier than I think it needed to be. And we're going to touch on it later, but I feel like parents have their vision, of course, on what they expect from their children. But as you said, you know, we never checked in or had a conversation about something that kind of happened two years ago for me moving meant giving myself the environment that I felt I needed at the time to really be the happiest version of myself and to get to know my full self. I think after graduating university, there was a lot that I needed to give myself, I guess, that I didn't really get in university and I didn't feel like I had like growing up either. And I've been open about being a middle child. You always find yourself sandwiched in, you know, the attention is never fully on you because you're in the middle. Being out on my own meant at that time that I got to know myself more and give myself the attention and the space to be myself. A lot of people who are maybe moving out early are, you know, trading their ability to save, maybe trading their ability to like relax before they're kind of taking on responsibilities. But they're mostly doing that because they want that space to be able to openly express themselves. So that's something that I feel like I gave myself by making certain decisions but I feel like I'm the type of person who I present to people as super sensitive and emotional but I feel like at my core I really value open communication and vulnerability and being able to express myself fully and obviously like when you're living in your parents home like you don't have that control I wouldn't otherwise be able to prioritize those things but those personally for me are things that I felt I needed. And honestly, I don't feel like I have the same communication style as anyone in my family. And I feel like that's hard. Like people don't really realize how hard that is to just like have a completely different communication style and like be basically on an island. I feel like that's where the decision came from. Like not necessarily a job to anyone, but also just me saying, you know what? These are things that I think I need for myself. This is the way that I prefer to communicate. These are things that I feel like I really need to prioritize and just like, be I don't know like there's just certain aspects of myself that I feel like I get to fully embrace when I'm alone or when I'm in a certain environment versus other environments and those aspects of myself happen to be the parts of myself that I like the most so I guess at that time like I didn't really feel like I could be my full self in that environment living at home so we're gonna get into like the parent-child relationship and stuff like that more throughout the episode we can just keep it pushing and touch on this again later as well also housekeeping item so in my linktree link i now have a link that you can click to send me anonymous messages or anonymous questions that you can submit for different episodes so if i'm ever having an episode where there's a Q&A, or you just genuinely want to share your perspective or a situation you're having for it to be spoken about on an episode please click that link even though we're wrapping up for the season i'm of course going to be recording more episodes in the meantime, while we're taking a break as well. So definitely submit those questions and I will get back to you with the tea, with the advice, whether it's chaotic, whether it's helpful, or you can just submit general messages or thoughts on the show and have that kind of peace of mind that it will be anonymous. So I can't come for you if I don't like what you say. 
continue to rate the show because obviously if you keep listening to the episodes, you do enjoy it and you like what I'm saying. Maybe you have a good laugh. Maybe you have a few takeaways. So with that being said, of course, life is give and take. So I'm giving you the episodes, giving you the content. So, you know, don't be a taker. Also, give a review and let me know what you think because it's super helpful. So, yeah, thank you for that. And I hope you enjoy the episode. Okay, so the next question it was sent into me as well. So this is a section of listener submitted questions. And this one is, I think, something that a lot of people struggle with. So, of course, you know, I'm sure it's not just an our generation thing. Like everybody sometimes navigates difficult relationships with their parents Something that a lot of us find, especially people who are, you know, children of immigrants, like you said, a lot of people's parents came and sought better and, you know, got certain opportunities. So sometimes that can create a dynamic where uh, they're more so involved in their children's life than what maybe the children would want based on the fact that, you know, they did all these things and they made these sacrifices. So they feel that they should have more say. You said that you aren't this type of parent. So maybe from the outside looking in, you can like give some advice based on that. So from your perspective, why do you think it's so hard sometimes for parents to let go of their vision of what they want for their children's lives? It's hard to answer that question from a general perspective because I think different parents bring different life experiences and different personalities and the dynamics in each family is usually different. Uh, just from a general perspective or from my experiences with each of you, I think it's not, for me, it's not about being, finding it hard to let go of what my vision is for my children. Parents say to their kids all the time that, you know, I've been there, I've done that. And I think what parents try to do, it might not be communicated or received the way we intend is that what we're trying to do is to steer our children along a path that takes them out of trouble because my experiences from childhood until now sort of made me who I am and it sort of made me the kind of parent I am. And for each child, for me, I try to steer them in a direction that's going to take them out of some of the potholes that I fell into when I was growing up. And what some children fail to understand is, well, from my perspective, I know different parents do different things. From my perspective, I just want my children to maneuver lives and have a much easier path or uh, take an easier route and have a more um, enjoyable experience growing up and transitioning during each phase of their lives, like Early childhood, you guide them to keep them safe, um, keep them safe from people, predators out there. Um, through school, you want to guide them that they can have good grades and be successful. You guide them to help them to choose the, par the career path that best suits their personality and that's going to enable them to earn a good income when they grow older. Um, and then when they graduate from high school, college, early adulthood, you want to be able to be that light that can help them to make the best decisions. And one of the challenges I find with young adults these days, they're exposed to so many different influences, whether social media, friendships, um, the demands of day-to-day -day life that sometimes they, they can't. I find that young adults fail to see sometimes 
that it's not that their parents are trying to control them. But I remember when I was growing up and my parents were doing the same thing. And I also felt the same kind of rebellious kind of attitude. Like, you know, you're trying to control me. You want me to live my life the way you want me to. But when I look back at it, when I got to my 30s, I look back and I say, you know what? Some of the things my parents were saying to me weren't so bad. I wish I'd listened to some things that they said or some of the things that I tried to ignore because then some of the decisions I made, I would have made different decisions. It's being able to find a balance between personal choices, personal dreams, and incorporating you know, what your parents are sharing with you to be able to, to make the right choices. And that's where it's, it's even more difficult right? because there are so many things that influence you and you know, I want to be an adult. You're not treating me like an adult. But you, when people take that stance, then they fail to see the merits in what the parent is trying to, to show them. And it's not until they get to like their late 30s or 40s when they're reflecting on their early adulthood life that they, you look back and you realize that, you know what, some of what my parents were saying weren't all that bad. And some people often regret not taking heed to some of the, the guidance that they were being given at that time, but by then it's too late. Mm-hmm. So I think one of the struggles is how do you share that vision in a way that your child will receive it? And not every child is receptive. So that's what the challenge, I think the main challenge is, right? Yeah. I think that that makes a lot of sense. Like naturally, it makes sense that even when we have our own kids, like, of course, we're going to have things that we want them to do and advice that we want them to take. So it's not unreasonable for parents to have that. But I think that from the children's or the young adult's perspective, I think sometimes children feel like the love that they get from their parents is conditional, which of course it isn't. But it feels that way at times, like maybe when you make a certain choice that you know is not the choice that uh, is what your parents want you to do and you kind of feel the backlash or you feel the cold shoulder or whatever the case may be, it starts to make you feel like, okay, like these decisions or these suggestions that my parents are making are not suggestions. They're not like advice. They're things I have to do. And if I don't do them, then it kind of feels like they don't, not that they don't love me, but I can feel the disappointment. And it's like, where do I have that balance between okay, this is actually what I really, really want to do for myself. I've done the research. I've looked it up, but it's not what you might want me to do, but I've actually like put effort into it. Sometimes the weight of disappointing your parents or the weight of them not being happy with you is like a lot to carry. Every listener, you can think of a situation where you know you actually disappointed your parents. Like That weight that you feel in the moment, it's really hard to carry that around constantly. So I think like your children's perspective when they feel like, every little thing I do or every choice I make for myself is like super disappointing to my parents. It's like, how do I live then? Mm-hmm. In, in, in my attempt to be the best parent I can be, I've put a lot of effort into the way I handle certain situations like that because I always look back on my growing up early teenager because I matured very early. So I was basically a teenager before I was 10. And my outlook on the world reflected that. And I think the kind of family dynamics you have um, sort of influences some of the things you do. Because if you are part of a, a family structure where your parents are seen as being very controlling and 
not allowing you any kind of freedoms, not allowing you to go hang out with your friends or stuff like that. You, you sort of become a bit rebellious early on. And if you become too restrictive and too controlling, I think as a parent, it, it, I think it influences a lot the dynamics between you and your children a lot. And I know for myself as a parent, I tried not to be that overly controlling parent. I mean, I still set rules. Um, I try to guide my children along the correct path. And it, I mean, sometimes it might have seemed that I was a bit controlling, but it was just the, the role of a parent. When you guys grow up and start having your own family, that is when you start to understand some of the challenges of being a parent. Being a parent is not easy. And you, as a parent, you have to try to find that balance between allowing your children to become independent, depending on what age or stage they are at in life. You're basically, as a parent, you're there as a resource and as a guide in life for your children, no matter how old they are. Parents still have some value in terms of being able to share some experiences and give some advice. But not a lot of children are receptive to that. Mm, yeah. I can agree with that for sure. Like me personally, I think from my perspective on that is like maybe they don't necessarily feel like the approach sometimes. And like you mentioned, this is tailored to the child. Like using me for an example, I feel like I'm super like in touch with my emotions. When people are like emotional with me and validate my emotions, I feel like that's when I feel most receptive. Whereas I feel like if someone comes at me with like a stronger approach, I tend to shut down more because that's not how I work. So I think that maybe people relate to that sometimes where it's like, obviously it's coming with love what you're telling me, but if it doesn't feel, if you can't feel the love, if you can't feel that stuff, then sometimes it's hard to digest it. But like you said, it's difficult to be a parent sometimes. So not every time you're trying to say something out of love, you're going to be able to say it in like a super, you know, lovey-dovey way. But I think that some children might actually need that. Yeah, that's true. And in any kind of relationship, not just the parent and child relationship, but any kind of relationship out there, whether it's between um, two spouses, between siblings, or relationship with coworkers and friends, it's it's often hard to relate to the individual the day, the way they would prefer you to relate to them, because a lot of um, dynamics and interactions happen in the heat of the moment, or you know when it's necessary, and it's hard to interact with always keeping the person's personality in mind mm -hmm. you know so you know when you're growing up it's it's hard to see that when you become an adult and you're at the stage like i guess the stage you're at where the dialogue and the relationship the dynamics has shifted right it's not uh, on a hierarchy anymore it's easier at this um point in time where you are at aware about to to sit down and have a conversation that will take that personality factor in play versus when you're younger and your parent thinks that, you know what, you know, I'm the parent and you should be listening. Yeah. Or, you know, you should understand what I'm saying or accept what I'm saying, you know? Mm -hmm. Okay, that's fair. So we've talked about this for a bit. So switching gears, this is the last question before we get into some different scenarios that are more lighthearted and fun after this very deep conversation but mm. what is one thing you'd say to your 20 year old self that I guess other people in that age would benefit from as well um to my 20 year old self where was I at when I was 20 oh my 
running through the Jamaican streets. <laughs> well, a bit, a bit, sis, a bit. But um, not sis. <laughs> at twenty, I think I was still in nursing school, so I was well along in terms of my career path. When from I was a young child, all I wanted to become was a nurse. So I was at twenty, I was well on track. But I would tell myself this to maybe slow down a little bit. Um, I was in a rush to become an adult. I, as I said, when I was a teenager, I couldn't wait. I kept telling myself, I can't wait to be an adult, to be independent, to be out there on my own, making my own decision. But I would have told myself to, you know what, slow down a little bit. Enjoy the early 20s. Take time to really enjoy those um, that time frame. Um, and not to be in a rush because it, you know, 30 is going to come whether you want it to come or not. I mean, I was having fun, hanging out with my friends, going out, but I would have not wanting to rush adulthood so much. Yeah, especially with the rise of social media, like you see what everybody else is doing now and that's something different. So a lot of us like put ourselves in positions where we're in a rush to settle down and we're in a rush to get a house and all these things are even like kids nowadays, like people are rushing to have kids based on, you know, maybe they want to or maybe they just feel like it's the thing that they should do at that point in their life. So a lot of us are not really slowing down and we're not really taking time to enjoy having less responsibilities, having less things that we need to do or being in the early part of our career before things really speed up and you have to provide for a family. Like a lot of us might feel pressure to work all the time and that's fair. It's good to make money, but it's just like, you don't have to thrust yourself in that position before you're ready in order mm -hmm. to grow up. Because like once you start doing it, you can't stop now. Now you'll be in the workforce forever. You know, another part of that too is I think a lot of young adults at that point are thinking that if, you know, if I don't find a one or, well, dating is dating, but a lot of people put a lot of, the young people put pressure on themselves, rushing to try to find the one and to settle down. And then, you know, once you settle down, then it progresses into maybe marriage or living together, family and all the responsibility. I wish a lot of young adults would just slow down and take them their time for those who are maybe dating and haven't fallen in love or found the one. It, I wish some of them would tell themselves that it's okay. I mean, you don't have to live your life based on anybody's timeline. Once they hit 20, it's like, oh my God, these are the things I have to do by this age and that age. And it puts a lot of pressure on young adults. So the concept of slowing down, it's very overreaching. It applies to every aspect of growing up. You know, take each thing in stride, plan and just go slow. Mm -hmm. I feel like you called me out there because you said, hey, they want to move in, they want to oh. get married, and I'm engaged, sis. No, Jada, it wasn't, to be honest with you, it wasn't a job at you. What I'm saying, I'm not saying don't embrace it when it happens, but what I'm saying is that a lot of young people, once they hit 20, they put pressure on themselves because mm -hmm. they have these timelines and these boxes that they have to check off. I don't think you put pressure on yourself to tick off any box. The stars just fell in line. Yeah. And that's different versus someone who hit early 20s and they start dating and everybody they date, oh, this is the one, rather than letting life play itself out. If it doesn't work out, fine. You find somebody else you date and you take it slowly. You you create your own roadmap. 
Mm. And that is what I'm I'm referring to, not necessarily a job at you. <laughs> no, that makes sense. That really ties into some of the scenarios I have. So sometimes when I invite guests on my podcast, I pull up a few Reddit scenarios. I don't know if you search sometimes on Reddit, but it has a lot of funny things I on know, there. What is Reddit? You're really showing your age here. <laughs> Listen, there are too many social media platforms out there. I I would much rather curl up in my bed with a good book, okay? That's what you say, but then I see you posting on Facebook every day, so what's the truth? That is what I'm saying. I restrict, I limit the amount of social media platforms I go in because it takes too much of your time to be able to engage in each of them. That's fair. A lot of the times you can ask like different questions. It's just basically like a community, like a forum where you can get other people's perspectives. Like maybe it's like a tech thing that you want to hear someone's perspective or like advice on from somebody who knows stuff like that. You can just basically post it and like have a conversation. I have a few scenarios based on that and I'm going to get your perspective because a lot of them relate to things that my friends have vented to me about or like people are going through and they're meant to be lighthearted. So if you think they're a bit ridiculous, you can feel free to say that as well. The first one is titled, How Should I, a 24 female, progress my relationship with my emotionally unavailable boyfriend, who is a 24 male? Let's call him Mark. And I have been in a relationship for almost one and a half years. We were friends for over seven years now. We're in a long distance relationship and he's in the military. But now we've been having communication gaps. For context, his family are separated and his mother doesn't share a relationship with his father. He despises his father and hence never grew up in a loving household. I'm the only child and I've been given a lot of affection and love, hence I expected the same out of the relationship as well. But as the relationship progressed, he's not very verbally affectionate. I know his work comes before everything, but I have to initiate phone calls. He hardly returns my calls. And I used to wait for his call for hours. I told him that I need some sort of affection. He doesn't hold my hand often or initiate any physical touch. I'm the person whose small things matter. When I try to bring these topics up, he says, I live in a dream world and that I need some therapy. And he went on a trip with his friend for three days and never called me once. I called him every day. And the fact that I was feeling desperate bothered me. So she's asking for advice or what you think. So based on just what I said, not knowing this person, do you think that this is like a normal thing? You know, to be honest with you, there are so many red flags that were raised in this thing. Um, I don't think that they're compatible. Her expectations from the relationship is not what he expects. And his um, beliefs and relationship style is embedded in him. And she will have to do some deep thinking and reflecting and figure out, is this what she really wants? Because her personality type and her relationship language is completely different than his. And I don't think they are com compatible with each other, to be honest with you. I don't think this relationship is meant to be. You have to get to the point where you can see that you need to make the change. Someone telling you that you have to break up with this person, it's never going to work because you're never going to do it. Because if you, Jada, came to me and listed all these things, I would say to you, listen, what are you looking for in a partner in a relationship? Based on what this person is saying, you're going to say, I want someone who wants to hold my hand who displays affection, who answers my call, or if we have a time where we, we're connecting, I want the person to be available. And I'm going to say, so what is this guy doing? And you're going to be telling me he's doing the opposite. And I'm going to say, Jada, well, you know what? Look at it. You have all the answers there. 
But unless yeah. you get to that point where you can say, you know what, enough is enough. He's going on a trip with his friend and he's not calling you for three days. Like stuff like this. If my friend told me this, I would be like, that's like weird. Like it doesn't seem like he wants to talk to you, babe. I think it has a lot to do with your age, where you're at in the relationship, how new the relationship is. If if you're in a committed relationship and you're in the relationship and you know you have trust for that individual, to me it wouldn't be an issue because I would have known that he's gone out with his friends, they're having a good time. Um, I would reflect and say, did we make a plan as to how soon we're going to connect? Did we decide that we were going to talk every night? So the older you get in a relationship, the more easy it is to set those ground rules. Even if you didn't set the ground rules and you haven't heard from him in three days, where is that feeling of distress coming from? Is it because you don't trust him? Or you think he's out there not hanging out with his friends but hanging out with another woman? Mommy, I'm going to have to disagree with you there because mm-hmm. it says that she, she calls him like on a regular day. Maybe she's done work and he doesn't like return the call. Don't you think that's mm. a bit weird? No, that's not it. That's what I'm saying. They were having issues with connecting and him answering her calls before. Mm-hmm. So with him going away for his with for the three days with his friends and not connecting her, is just continuing that cycle of discomfort. It can happen in any relationship where you're trying to connect with your other half for a few days and not hearing from them. But I'm saying it depends on what stage you're at with the relationship. There. So this relationship is clearly not a relationship, but if Say, for example, you and Tokeni, you're in a committed relationship, there's trust. You live apart, but sometimes you go for two or three days or two days without calling, but you know he's there. On the other line, if you were to call, he would answer, but you know he's going away with his friends. No, he would have to call me. (laughs) No, but if you try to understand what I'm saying. No, I get it. Depends on the kind of relationship you're in and the stage you're at. Because if, say, say, for instance, I didn't live with Roger. And I'm dating him. And we'd go for maybe a day or two without calling. But he knows that, you know what? She's just busy with work because he knows that's clearly what it is. And there's no mistrust there. So if I say, you know, I'm going away with my girlfriends for for, trip for for a week. And the first three days, I don't call. I don't think it would cause that much distress. Because he knows where I am. He knows I'm not off cheating. I'm just out having a good time. But. He knows I'm going to connect with him soon. So it depends on the stage you're at with the relationship. This is clearly not a good relationship. Every little situation is going to cause problems. Okay. But either way, like you said, it doesn't seem like she's happy. Like you need someone who matches, I guess, like your energy, especially if you asked him, hey, can we, because they're long distance too. So naturally you Mm -hmm. guys should be checking in because you don't even see each other. She might need to move on because it seems like the relationship's not going well. She already called him emotionally unavailable in when she was writing it. So I think that she doesn't think he's emotionally available. So why would you be with someone who's not emotionally available? But anyway, so this one is more so a parent-child uh, relationship. And I thought it was pretty funny. Mother-in-law, who is a 60-year-old woman, insists on giving and calling our baby a name that we don't like. Me, a 30-year-old man, and my wife, a 30-year-old female, recently had a baby. Over the past three months, her mother has been a constant presence in helping us around the house. It has been very helpful and we have been very thankful, especially as my wife had a long recovery due to some complications. 
Her mom has always wanted us to name the baby Sherman to honor her father. Quite simply, we just didn't like the name, so we declined and ultimately named him Alexander. However, over the last couple of weeks, I have noticed her increasingly calling him variations of Sherman, for example, Little Sherm, to us and to him. I have asked her gently and firmly to stop doing so. My wife has talked to her, no change. I made a big deal out of it, talked about how disrespectful it was, how if she wasn't willing to call him his real name, she could leave. She did. Since then, cooler heads have prevailed and we had a Zoom conversation where I apologized for the outburst. I, however, did not apologize for insisting for her to call him the right name. She did not apologize for not calling him the right name. Instead, she came with a compromise that we give him the middle name Sherman. And she said, how many more years do you think I have left? I was outright against this idea, but my wife told her we'd think about it. The wife and I have talked since. Her stance is that she doesn't like it. She doesn't want to rock the boat, though. I know her mother has been guilting her in the past few days, and she also feels like her mother always ends up doing what she wants anyway. I want to stand firm. So what do you think I should say? Yes or no? What are your thoughts? I think the parents have the ultimate decision as to what they will name their child. And she already made a request which they denied. So she should be respecting their choices. She shouldn't be calling the child the name that the child doesn't have. I wouldn't agree because it's a decision between him and his wife. And they already made that decision. I think they should say no. But I think that's so weird that she calls him Little Sherm, Sherman, Sherm. Like, that's not his name. <laughs> no, it's not. But you know what? On the other hand, like, I mean, a lot of children have pet names. I mean, you want the child to grow up knowing what their name is. But maybe a compromise would be, you know, giving him a, a pet name. But shouldn't his pet name coincide with his real name? His name is Alexander. Why are we calling him Sherman? I know a lot of children have pet names that's not really their names. And eventually the, the pet names go. Like, mm -hmm. if you remember your brother, his pet name was growing up was Chubbs. <laughs> your sister gave him that name, Chubbs. And eventually it just disappeared. But um, I think they, they need to make it clear to the mother. And she, if she wants to be a part of the child's life, she needs to respect that. And if she isn't, then she, she would have to be grandmother from a distance until she decides to agree. Mm -hmm. I agree with what you're saying because, like, naturally, if you have a child, I feel like it's only fair, like, why can I not name the child? But I guess it's fair. She wants to honor her, her dad, I think it was. Like, she wanted to name him after her dad. But I feel like, why didn't she just name her son Sherman? Like, if she had a son, why didn't she just do that herself? But <laughs> I don't know. It's interesting, though. But I feel like when parents, she says, um, how much more time do you think I have left? Like, I feel like that's really not to shade you, of course, because you're a parent. But I feel like that's kind of manipulative because how come you're telling me to do something and then you're basically telling me that, you know, you don't have much time left. So I kind of feel like I have to do it. Yeah, I think that that's been very, very manipulative and it just speaks to her personality. Like, she can't get her own way, so she's going to try to guilt them to agree, and it shouldn't be that way. They should stand their ground and say no, because you know what? If they give in to her this, it's going to be something else, and she's going to try to control their life, try to control decisions that they make about this child. So they need to, to make a stance right from the get-go. Let her realize that, you know, this is not your home, and this is not your child. We are the ones who are calling the shots. Period. And that's that on that. Maybe when you have your first child, I might say, Jada, 
why don't you call him or her so-and-so and then try to guilt you? What do you think? You think I would do that? No, but I feel like he no, wouldn't that's... do that to me because, you know, I'm not going to listen. No, that's not me. I already have my ideal names picked out, so I feel like that would really mess up the vibes, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Okay, so we agree on that one. I don't know. I have one that's kind of funny. So my mom, 56-year-old woman, always tells me, 23-year-old female, about all her problems. I, 23-year-old female, live apart from my parents and abroad. I don't see my parents very often, like one or two times in three months. My mom calls me every day, could be several times a day. I'm living alone in a different country, working full-time and studying at college. I have my own problems and things to care about, but I usually keep it to myself or tell my boyfriend. However, each time I talk to my mom, she tells me about each problem she has in her life. The issue is I'm a very empathetic person. I find it too overwhelming to handle. I always thought parents are people to protect you from problems, but in this case, my mom makes my life harder. Damn. Recently, I was having a vacation with my boyfriend and she called me crying and sobbing that she's jealous of me that I'm having a good time. (laughs) Meanwhile, my dad doesn't take her out. And she hung up crying and saying, enjoy your vacation. This completely ruined one of my days because I was worrying about her. I understand we're family. And you don't want to share your problems outside of the family and all that stuff. But I feel like she should just talk to her husband, a.k.a. my dad, about these issues. Well, I can have a good day and be in a good mood. But after talking with my mom, everything is bad. My day is completely ruined. I even start to have depressive episodes because I get the feeling that I should not only solve my problems, but the problems of my mom. It feels like I'm the parent. So she's asking for advice on how to set boundaries. I get a feeling that she has never sat down with her mom and openly address the issue. She seems to be afraid to say, but she needs to sit down with her mom and say what her impression of what she's doing and call her out on it and tell her definitely that she needs to stop. I don't know if she is a personality type that will be able to do that. If she doesn't think she can do it, then she can probably find a, a neutral person and explain to the person, get them to facilitate conversation between, or maybe go go find a counselor to mediate, but she needs to tell the mother that it has to stop. And yeah. if she doesn't, then it's going to continue. It's going to get worse. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's very true. Like, I feel like sometimes we're afraid to tell, like, people older than us, especially, like, our parents, how we feel about things. But I feel like this in particular, it's really too much. I don't know. Her mom is using her to vent, and I feel like sometimes people feel you know obligated in that situation to listen and obviously you should be there for your family when her mom is like kind of guilting her for enjoying her life I feel like that's a lot like that would really ruin my day her mom is making her life harder and that's really tough like like you shouldn't say that your mom's making your life harder so I think she should know so she stops doing that and it's affecting her mental health so she needs to address it because it's gonna get worse and her mental health she needs to take care of her own mental health I think maybe find booking an apartment, finding a counselor and inviting the mom. Mm-hmm. Um, she needs to make, let it be clear that the mom's behavior is beginning to affect her mental health. Maybe once the mom hears that, it might be a wake-up call, but she, she needs to take care of her own mental health. Exactly. It's so funny how she said, I feel like these are things she should talk about with her husband, a.k.a. my dad, because it's like, why are you telling me that? my dad doesn't take you out like I feel like these are some personal problems maybe like some issues in your marriage and you're telling me as your child it's a bit much I know of some parents mother daughters father sons who are very close and they have that kind of dynamics that they talk about 
problems going on in each other, but this is clearly unwa- unwanted. She needs to tell the mother. Yeah, I would have to stop answering a few calls. Like that sounds like he's ruining our day. So hopefully, like you said, she talks to somebody or at least tells her. Last scenario, the title is my boyfriend, 27-year-old male, wants me, 27-year-old female, to wait seven years before becoming engaged. I'll summarize this one because it's really long. But she has been dating her boyfriend who's 27 for two years and they agreed at the beginning of the relationship that they're both looking for two years of dating followed by one year of living together after that. She said, we're at the two-year mark and discussing moving in. He spoke about it publicly to his friends and family at gatherings. We even went on an apartment tour. He disclosed that he wasn't ready to move in together because he thought that meant marriage was expected. I didn't know how to take this, but reassured him that moving in together meant figuring out if we're compatible before deciding to get married. He's now on board with moving in, but I'm hesitant. We spoke about marriage and he informed me that he is not willing in any circumstances to be engaged before the age of 32, which is five years from now. We have spoken about this before, but I thought he was either joking, he has a habit of joking about these things, or he had some room to compromise. His reasonings were the following. So he wants time to figure out if he really wants kids, and he also wants to be more established in his career and time to know himself in case his core beliefs change. My heart is breaking because I've been very clear on what I want and I'm terrified that I'm being set up here. I trust him, but at the end of the day, seven years seems extreme to me. But beyond that, I don't want to be with someone who doesn't want me as much. So she's looking for advice and she thinks maybe they should go to couples therapy. But she's wondering if it is worth the wait. You know, we tend to think, especially with parents of like girls, they sometimes would be weary of their daughter's partner being stringing them along, especially if it's been like a long period of time with no, you know, movement on these things. So from that perspective, do you feel like this is a red flag that he is kind of saying that he would not want to be engaged before he turns 32? It would take some reflecting as to what they had discussed before. And sounds like he did expressed some of these ideas before but she she thought he was joking so Mm -hmm. some of these red flags did come up she chose to ignore them and now that it's down to crunch time then she's realizing that he's actually serious about some things in terms of not wanting to get married before a certain time yeah not before he's 32 yeah but um it sounds like she had this map or her life planned out and sometimes the cards don't always fall the way you Especially if you have them planned out like that. I'm not the kind of person who sort of set up my life in that kind of way where you have all the the boxes and the timelines written down and if they're not lining up, then you get into the state of distress. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the question as to whether she should trust him and wait or not, she would have to look at, I would think she'd need to look at all the other facets of the relationship. Mm-hmm. Is everything else going Okay. Does he treat you with respect? Are you guys in love versus just settling? Those are the, the things I think she needs to look at versus the timelines. You have some couples who have a good relationship and they're together for years and they never take that step to say they're going to get married or whatever they exist and it works. So I think she would need to look at what's working or what's not working because if she has all these timelines and the progression of the relationship is based on all these timelines she has in her head. It could cause problems too, right? If they're not on the same timeline. So 
it should have to think about what is she getting out of the relationship and what is it she wants, what need does she have that's not being met. Because if it's only, oh, I want to get married by in a year and I want to get married and I want to have a child in two years, that seems a little bit too extreme if the relationship is a good one. And he's not saying he never wants to get married, but he's not ready. So she don't, she don't want, I don't think she should want to force him to do something he's not ready for because that's going to cause problems on the long run. Mm-hmm. Speaking on the guy, I feel like it's like fair that he's not ready. But I think maybe what she's thinking about also is that it seems like he's thinking about, like he's deciding a lot of things. Like, for example, he said that he's trying to figure out not when he wants kids but if he even wants kids at all it seems like maybe he's just not sure what he wants at all for his future which could be tough because she's 27 so she's probably thinking like I'm with someone they might not even want kids and I'm getting towards the time that I would probably want to have kids so but it sounds like maybe he's just figuring that out but then I don't know she should stick around to find that out but also the perspective a lot of people have maybe sometimes with the timelines is they probably might not want to spend like that amount of time in a relationship if it's not going to lead to marriage. Seven years with this person and then five years with the next and then eight years like you're wasting. You're not wasting because like you're still benefiting, but like you're spending a lot of time in these relationships when you could potentially be like meeting other people if this person doesn't align with what you want to. So it's like he says not before 32. So he wants to wait. So five extra years to like figure out his plans. But it's just like, Imagine if I wait that extra five years and then at the end of it, you're like, yeah, I don't want kids. I don't want to get married. I don't actually even like you. And you just kind of leave. I think that's like the perspective a lot of women maybe come from where it's like it's not necessarily just the age. It's just the fact that I don't want to be prolonging this if in the end you're not going to make up your mind and like tell me what you want. And then I'm going to have to start over again after seven whole years being with you, moving in, doing all this stuff just for it not to go anywhere. Yeah, I I get that. But. I mean, if you look at what the scenario is, they, they're just at the two-year mark. A lot of relationships takes more than two years to figure it out. One of the issues I have, she has all these timelines, and it's like a lot of people date for three, four years before they're actually sure that that's the one. Mm-hmm. She's at the two-year mark because you have these timelines, and if you're not hitting the timelines or the milestones based on how you set them out, it can cause a lot of stress on a relationship. So mm-hmm. from someone who is on the outside he might be pushing back because he's feeling pressured because if she's listing all these things and all these concerns and becoming so stressed over it at just two years how is this coming across to him maybe that's why he's back in pushing back a little bit and the issue about not wanting not sure if he wants kids that should be something that it should have been talking about from the beginning right Mm -hmm. rather than waiting until two years down the line to to have a conversation about kids. I think whenever you start dating somebody and it's getting to the point past a year, that's that's a full-blown relationship. These are conversations that people should start having. And then by the time you get to two years, you sort of have a sense or feeling as to where the person is going. I feel like he's getting cold feet because it could be that she's putting a lot of pressure on him. If he's hung around with you for two years, chances are he might very well be hung, wanting to hang around for the long haul. But if you're beginning to put a lot of pressure on me as a man at two years with all these demands, I'll probably start rethinking my decisions. Mm. I mean, she's looking at it from the timeline of your age. 
but come on, not because you're not going to look at how old you're getting to put pressure on a relationship. Because if it's not going to work, it's not going to work. And if she keeps talking to him about it, he might adopt her perspective and be like, yeah, you know what? It's been this long. Let me propose. But that's not actually what he wants to do. Right. And then everything mash up after that, you know? And a lot of women often make the mistake of running into certain scenarios because they think that their biological clock is ticking and they have these timelines to meet. And that can push a lot of people into relationships that weren't meant to be. He might be the one and he might not be the one, but let it play itself out. If she's really, really in love with this man and he's the one, she wouldn't be rethinking it. And that's the perspective I think too. If if something feels right and it's it's right, you wouldn't have to be stressing over certain things. I guess the summary of what we'd be telling her is just to, you know, see, like have the conversations, see if you guys are on the same page. But I feel like, like you're saying, like if the timelines matter that much to her, she might at the end of the day just need someone who's on that same timelines. But that doesn't mean that they're going to be the one just because they agreed to get married by a certain time. But just remind him that, you know, when we started dating, these are some of the things that we had agreed on. I don't think relationships are based on only these kind of agreements. It has to feel right. And if it feels right, then he wouldn't be backtracking and she will be stressing because it would mm-hmm. naturally progress to the way it's supposed to go. No, that makes a lot of sense. I didn't consider it from that perspective. You know, you don't always think about like what the other person might be thinking or the pressure or even how you're relaying it because she could be relaying it in a really, you know, some type of way that's not coming across well either. And maybe he's just like, oh, I need some time to like make sure. And that's not a bad thing too, right? Like those things are permanent. So why would you be looking at how long as a negative thing? Because you're taking more time anyway to like make sure get to know the person, build up yourself. So the more time, and obviously some time periods are unreasonable. Like, you know, at a certain time, it's like, okay, make a decision or not. But it shouldn't necessarily be like, oh, at this certain time, that's the cutoff. Because at the end of the day, it might give you more time anyway to know that maybe this is not the best choice or get to know the person more. So it's not necessarily a negative thing to be in that stage for a longer period of time. Mm-hmm. That was a good scenario. These were good scenarios. And of course, you gave your perspective. And I thank you for that. That brings us to the end of our episode. But sometimes I ask guests to just leave us with a thought or a quote or just something that you'd like to leave my audience with. One of the things that I've had different phases in my life, I've had my own challenges and nobody's life is perfect. But one of the things that sort of helped me to get through some of the things is giving myself permission to make myself happy. And even if in so doing, others make themselves unhappy. So the entire quote says, give yourself permission to make yourself happy. Even if in so doing, others make themselves unhappy. I think it means that at different phases of your life, you need to think about yourself. You can't always think about others whether you're a parent, a child, a spouse, a caregiver, you just have to make time for yourself. There there has to be time when it's just about you. And that's it. Wow, that's a good one. I might steal that and tell people it's me who thought of it, but that makes a lot of sense, especially for people who might struggle with people pleasing or setting boundaries or whatever the case may be. So yeah, thank you for that. And thank you for being on my podcast. It was a really good conversation. You were vulnerable. You told us the tea. You told us about your life. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope I can expect my check in the mail. 
Yeah, I don't know. You can expect it in the mail, but it might bounce. So, <laughs> you know. But yeah, so I hope you enjoy this episode, everyone. And Mother, thank you for your time. Bye. Even though the season is coming to an end, the best thing you can do in between while you're waiting for the next season, usually we take a little break. But luckily, I have all these lovely episodes that you may not be caught up on that you can continue to listen to. Run up the place, send it to your sister, send it to your uncle, send it to your cousin who lives across the world. And yeah, continue to stay tapped in and then that way you'll be all caught up and ready to go when season three drops. Thank you for all your support. I very much so appreciate it. And until next time, sincerely, Jada. 